Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Mukanda Maumbola and I host the Scan Podcast where we talk about all matters supply chain. We in interview influencers, entrepreneurs and professionals who has been in the supply chain for quite some time. Today I'm honored to be interviewing Eva Mwai. She has been serving as North Star Alliance Regional Director but recently she has been appointed the Director of North Star Alliance. Welcome Eva. So for those who don't know, Eva has been in supply chain for the past 20 years and she was named last year as one of the apolitical 100 most influential persons in gender policy she also in 2018 was awarded by palm steel associates as african woman in supply chain leadership so she's someone who has been there she's done that she has accolades to show and we'll be conversing about all matters supply chain all matters gender and policy where does your story begin eva uh, my story began right in the village, mm. uh, the slopes of Mount Kenya, the eastern region. That's where I was born and brought up. Mm. As a little girl, walking to school in uh, barefoot. <laughs> Is it in or barefoot? Walking barefoot, yeah. Oh, even yes. little... walking barefoot. Mm. And then, uh, you know, living the life of a village girl growing mm. up like every other. Then I was taken to boarding school and that's how my schooling went. Yeah. Did you ever think that you'd be here as a kid? Or what, what, what did you dream of? Like, did you want to be a doctor? Everyone knows you want to be a doctor or a pilot? <laughs> Actually, that, that's a very interesting question, Asha, because it's other people who thought that I should be a doctor. Mm. And uh, the, the teachers and everyone, because of my, my grades in, in school. But come to end of my uh, second form, you know, form two, the end of it, I developed a heart condition kind of. Mm -hmm. And so I had already been put in science classes, apparently, and it was very difficult to cope up because I needed to be in the lab and I was in and out of school. But that's, you know, actually that was about, my menses came with the, re the revelation that I had this condition. Mm -hmm. Although I had a sickly, um, uh, a sickly childhood, so you know it was not unexpected. But I, I didn't think that this was it. So I went through school, and uh, then one one teacher I will never forget her, and I think her name uh, is Rono. I don't know where she is these days. She came and told me, it appears all the girls in school want to talk to you, and you are helpful to all of them. I want you to do a course that is called social work and it's not at the university yet so she told me where it was and apparently in, when I joined is when they started at, uh, at campus so. and then the professor Ojiambo is the one I was taken to by my uncle uh, luckily and he did a wonderful job um, even the doctor that he left me with when he went to West Africa were just incredible. They were good. So they told me at the age of 21, I would be well. At that time, I was in college already. And then, you know, my grades now started going up again. And, and uh, 
when the university lecturers came to mark my papers, they were quite impressed and they told me to take a scholarship. I'll cut the story short. <laughs> yeah, to get a scholarship and my head of department helped me to get a scholarship to the US. Mm. But I didn't go. Somebody went on my behalf. And we noticed because that time technology was not very advanced, so they didn't remember to delete my name from the system. And that had happened to me actually when I was in um, seventh grade. Uh, you know that time, those years, I'm not a young woman. <laughs> those years we were going up to seven, <laughs> and uh, among the 20, despite my sickness, you know, my sickly nature, we were about uh, 20 girls in the school, and I was the second, so it was of course expected that, uh, you know, no, I'm saying 20 of us went to national schools, apart from Eva, because uh, somebody again had gotten my chance in Alliance. This is something we don't shout about so much uh, because it's um, a senior relative who actually pursued until he went and saw my name cancelled. So I had to, to have my, uh, again look for a, for a school, uh, a high school, and my parents said because, you know, you're always uh, getting sick, you better be uh, home, near home. So. I was taken to that secondary school. So I started working, actually with the help of my lecturers in high in college, they took me to, um, they, they took me to Kenya Research Institute as a research assistant. I think I didn't quite enjoy that work and after a few months I left and applied for another job which I got as a women's coordinator uh, in a, an organization that was uh, faith-based but you know not very big. I worked there and then there were politics and I am very shy you know, <laughs> with politics so I left and joined Udugu Society. So Udugu Society is where I can say that I started actually uh, practicing what I had learned and what my passion has always been. And working with the street children in the streets of Nairobi and uh, in the slum areas uh, was quite, you know, motivational for me. Actually, that's when I really knew, yes, people, deserving people mattered in my life. And that's where my life is. You know, that's where it begins. And that's what propels me. So I worked um, in the slums. I would go to the worst corners of the slums where, you know, um, even the, the robbers, the, <laughs> the murderers would hide. And actually one time somebody found me there. And, uh, you know, uh, Udugu was started by a Catholic priest. And when he learned that I'm going up to those depths. He actually had me featured on standard newspaper, a whole two-pager. And, you know, they were just interested about how can I survive in such an environment. 
But, you know, the love for the people and knowing that, you know, they have a right to health, they have a right to education, they have a right to good life like everybody else. But, you know, they lost the opportunities. I kept on asking myself, you know, it could be me. If it was me, what would happen? And we would bond. When I left Udugu, because I got a job with, um, with Plan International after two years, but in Udugu, again, I, I even represented Kenya with a government uh, official uh, in Malaysia. That, that was my first trip out to, um, in a youth conference, Commonwealth conference. And again, it was such an experience for me because those people had not seen many black, black people. And, and then I had hair, you know, the, what, what do you call it? The hairpiece. So my, the style of my hair and another South African uh, who had short hair like me now, you know, they, they had never seen that. So they would run on the streets and just touch, you know. <laughs> and I would even cover with a headscarf like you, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was actually, I, I'm not, I, I am not a fan of traveling. I only travel because I have to. And, and so I, I came back and went to Plan International. Uh, and actually before I went to Plan is when I realized that my scholarship had been taken because I received a letter from US asking me how my uh, scholarship uh, period was and um, that they were doing an evaluation, but I, I hadn't gone. So they should have written to somebody, to somebody else. So I went to Plan International in Embu, uh, that's where their office was then, and uh, I was hired as the program manager for the urban program. I was initiating their urban program, so I was looking again at the, you know, the people in the, you know, low-income settlements, and, um, and, you know, I had to initiate things, I had to be innovative and do programs that fitted those people who live within the urban uh, suburbs and uh, not suburbs but uh, the, the slums and, and those other areas and of course the parents we were dealing with were from uh, a poor background, you know, the children that we were fostering. So that's where actually I got um, a director uh, who enabled me and allowed me beyond Udugu now to use my skills and knowledge in very diverse ways. You know, I would tell him, uh, I think this program can work. Then he would say, I doubt if it can. And, you know, I would sometimes tell him, you terminate my services if it doesn't. You know, I would have that confidence. And then he would just allow me. And I remember one time I conceived the idea of moving slum people to um, another settlement, you know, a low-cost, you know, uh, settlement, which was better than where they were living. And I, I didn't, even today, I actually, it's like a dream the way the whole thing happened because I went and met the counselor, you know, the, uh, like the MCA today, 
and then I met um, the municipal council people and I found extremely uh, responsive people, the town clerk, the engineer, uh, they were such wonderful people. So we approached them with um, the councillor because I told the councillor, you see, if we do something good for your people, then they will elect you over and over again. And and um, actually it happened, <laughs> though he's late, he, he passed on that, what I was told uh, afterwards. So we actually, I was given land our organization that is by the municipal council and we resettled 150 slum dwellers they participated in doing the the the, blo the blocks for their houses they they would uh, artisans came from their community they selected uh, people who would get the houses fast and it was community participation per se and the 150 houses were built and then they cast lots and they knew who was going to to own which one when the council saw how successful that project was they in they actually added embu municipal council three i think three more acres for another uh you know resettlement program <laughs> and with that new design now they apparently the uh, civil engineer in the council, the engineer, the treasurer, the, the engineer of the council was very gifted in designs and uh, he, he did all the designs and everything, you know, in a low-cost manner but very decent and with all the facilities. So after, after doing many other programs, that's just one of them, I left uh, I actually also did a street children uh, home uh, with the Anglican Church, which was interested in resettling them. So uh, part of the land for the houses was hived off to do the, the street children home. Do you know that one is still there, big and grown now, highly developed, supported by the churches and supported by, I think, some donors outside. So. It was a program that actually sustained itself, was self-sustaining. And then the other one, um, the, the low-cost housing, the people, because they did it with their own hands, they owned the process, they owned the project and continued. I understand there were many um, uh, projects that came and they did them. Uh, two years ago, I think three years ago, before COVID, um, PLAN was celebrating, I think, their 50th anniversary, and they wanted to recall all that because they moved from there. And uh, I was told by whoever reached out to me that they went to the field, and the people uh, who lived in those houses, some of them were late, and they came I mean, they told them, they got my pictures and told them, go and ask this one. <laughs> so they reached out to me and apparently I had the interview done. Anyway, a long story short, uh, I mean, a long story cut short, I was brought to Nairobi and Thika again to start a new uh, program there. They wanted uh, me to replicate what I had done in Nembu, in the slums, but... Um, I was tired mentally. I loved plan, but um, 
I got another job. I applied for another job with um, St. John Ambulance and that's how I moved from plan and I was hired as the first chief executive officer. I stayed there for nine years until again I felt, I stayed in plan for nine years and then St. John for nine years and finally I felt, you know, sometimes you want a change and you want someone else to, someone else to also come and bring new ideas and continue the work that, you know, you have done. So I left and joined North Star Alliance and I've been here now for 12 years. <laughs> I thought I would leave after nine after years. Nine. But, but it, the formula failed. <laughs> yes. What, what, what is your plan after North Star? What, are you th what do you think you will do? Going back to the community. I mean, <laughs> I don't think uh, I would um, be able to completely just live uh, a life without, you know, the community members ar around me. One, I would like to really mobilize women and uh, the, the very poor ones. I lost my husband when, after seven years of marriage, uh, after our wedding, you know, just seven years. And I learned that uh, you can easily lose everything you have and become a squatter, like the ones that I had worked with. So I started conceiving a program of women uh, who have uh, no shelter, who are single, widowed, and uh, very poor. And, uh, you know, in my mind, it was, it is about um, integrated development, where they are able to settle somewhere on their own, with their own, through their own contributions, either, you know, material or in kind, and uh, develop their children, you know, and give them self-worth, uh, develop themselves agriculturally, you know, it's, it's an environmental, um, educational, health, and uh, agriculture, you know, just an integrated program that would uh, make their livelihoods at least um, improve. And then I love books like nothing. I, I think because of that lag in my life, I, I, I felt like uh, there's something I needed to do that I haven't quite done. I've been reading and uh, still doing school work here and there, but I would like to really progress and um, use that knowledge to do the project that I, I'd like to do. I love research, so that's an area where I would like to go into, uh, knowing that uh, research, you know, all the problems in the community, um, if, if you want to address them well, then you need evidence, you know, and you get it through research. So. Yes, so those are some of the plans that I have at the moment. I don't know whether they'll come to fruition or I'm just dreaming. But it's good to dream because some dreams come true. So yes. at NOTSA Alliance, your mission is to provide quality health care to mobile health and the communities they interact with. That's what I yes. said from your website, right? Yes. Please explain to me what that is. I keep saying when you look at most um, non-profits or even just most... Um, 
most websites you see such a very nice tagline but it's very hard to understand what exactly they do yes. so what exactly <laughs> okay to, to understand what north star alliance does it's good to understand where the innovation started and it was because uh wfp the unwfp and tnt tnt uh you know tnt yes tnt actually uh, started this innovation supported by the UN World uh, Food Program because they were transporting food. I think TNT was doing their your CSR. They were transporting food stuff to some place in Malawi. And they, after some time, they realized that uh, they didn't have enough truck drivers to transport the food. And they realized after an assessment that it was because of health, HIV, especially those days, and uh, safety along the, you know, the highways. So that is how this organization started. And for that reason, to address the aspects of or issues of health uh, along the transport corridors for people who, uh, who are mobile, and the others, the the people that they interact with. So we would, uh, you would, you'd find us dealing more with the truck drivers uh, who move from one country to the other, and they use the the highways quite a, a lot. You'd see us uh, working with the sex workers because, of course, you know they interact with them quite a bit. When when you look at truck parks and. Uh, where those trading centers on the along the corridors, because there's a lot of trade and a lot of activity, it it, it attracts different kinds of people. So, Nota set up a clinic uh, using converted sea containers. At sea container uh, is. Um, something that a truck driver will identify with very easily because that's what they they transport every every day and then you can relocate it very easily and it is low cost so we converted a sea container to make a clinic and placed it in a strategic location just at the truck park where when uh, drivers come in, they just enter. So, in short, we are dealing with, uh, you know, reducing uh, 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 infectious diseases, communicable diseases along transport corridors. And we also do a little bit of road safety because uh, we want our drivers to, to remain safe uh, as they, they travel from one place to the other. I think it's that's very innovative because from I I come from Western and from Western to Algeria you'll meet so many transit like they're so they're like they're everywhere yeah you can't compete yeah. with them but at no point in my life did I ever think how do these guys get treated or how do these guys get healthcare because you just don't think, you know when something is very far off from maybe your ecosystem you just don't think about them. And mm. I, I know that they go for so long, maybe 24, 48, even maybe say a whole week. So you can imagine they really need all the health care that they can get, they really need. It's, wow, I, I, I just never thought about that, to be honest. Yeah, it is because you cannot veer off a truck one kilometer away. One, you're monitored. You need to transport goods 
some of them are, you need to transport the goods within the time you know required. You can only stop for a certain period of time. So the time to go and look for a clinic for a clinician, I mean, it doesn't just favor them at all. <clears throat> yeah, then when you look at the people they interact with, like the you know, the sex workers, the, the stigma, the discrimination, they will also not access health because uh, you know, they, they are stigmatized. So you just place a container there, allow even other community members, the traders and all the others to come to the clinic. So nobody knows why you're coming to the clinic. Nobody knows that you're coming for a HIV test. So it's, it's an integrated kind of thing because we offer a wide range of uh, services. There's, we started with HIV uh, testing and education and STI screening. But now the clinics have grown so much with the help also of uh, the Ministry of Health uh, to include even HIV uh, initiating, actually ARV, ARV treatment at the clinics. And uh, we also treat other conditions because if you just do HIV testing and treatment only, then they'll come with a headache, a stomach problem, and malaria, how will they travel? TB, you know how it spreads easily. So we deal with all those conditions. And what our clinics cannot handle, then we refer. We refer to mainly the uh, public health facilities. Yes, and we have received a lot of support from them. Yeah. I think the best thing and the best part about them is that when you travel, you see those uh, clinics. So most of the time you see them. And because of the place it's situated, it will not only cater for the drivers, but it will also cater for the community at large. Mm -hmm. So it's just as important. It's very important to have them around. So do you think with your track record, yeah, you've been a CEO before, you've worked with the grat grassroots, you've really gone to the most humble of places. Do you think that you've demystified the notion that there's only a place for men in society? Or rather there's only places or in the mostly in the corporate ladder, there's only titles for men? Yeah, I think um, yes and maybe no, because there is still too much to be done. Uh, some jobs are a little bit uh, challenging. I, I am a single woman now, and I'm not, I don't have a young child. So I am able to pack my luggage and move when I'm required. But if you consider a woman with a little baby or, you know, uh, other responsibilities at home, it will take uh, maybe some time for preparation and um, you wake up one morning and you're required tonight, in the, the same night, to travel to DRC, to travel to the border of Uganda with Rwanda. So there are some particular aspects of the job that makes it a little difficult, the supply chain. And I think we need to encourage more women because through the years that I have worked, I have 
seen upcoming young women with small children who actually are able to multitask and organize themselves to the extent that they can actually handle and do whatever is required. It's just like saying women cannot drive trucks. They can. You know, we a few of them who are attempting to do it. And I think with time, there's, there's a change. There's a, a little bit of a paradigm shift from what I saw when I was beginning and what I am seeing now. I think many people, many women are willing to take risks. And what should happen is they need to be mentored. They need to be encouraged. They need to be given inspiration and allowed the space to take care of their, you know, home responsibilities and be able to do what they like to do best. Because there, there's someone who might just be passionate about the supply chains and some of the difficult uh, areas that uh, we, we travel to and they are comfortable that way. So, yes. So your takeaway is that women need to be encouraged to take up space in supply chain because unfortunately right now only 37% of professionals in Kenya are in supply chain are women. So more encouragement would, would be of use. So your last line um, on LinkedIn reads, I'm a proud and humbled to be the 2018 recipient of the Africa Women in Supply Chain Leadership Award from Palm Steel Associates. Why supply chain? Also, did you ever think that you should be here? <laughs> well, I actually didn't think when I was hired to start the operations in East Africa, you know, scaling up from Southern Africa. Um, I think I wasn't quite sure because uh, it was a shock, some of the first things that I did, the traveling and the areas that I went to. Um, so I didn't expect um, some of the things that I experienced in the, in the beginning. But why supply chains? If we want efficiency and effectiveness in whatever we do, then we have to connect the dots and connect them well. Planning, proper planning, uh, executing plans and um, processes very well and, and I, I, I feel that um, through my career, without uh, looking at the beginning of a chain to the end of it, will actually uh, produce uh, the results that would be desired. And I also don't feel motivated enough when I do just a piece of the a piece of the the chain. I like seeing the beginning and, you know, I, I like to see the end at the beginning and connect those dots all the way. That, that's what gives me gratification and I think that's why I have stayed for, for, for this long. <laughs> yes. That's, that, that's your secret? Maybe. <laughs> so I have, I've only been around for 23 years and one thing that I have... <laughs> I have come to a crisis that there will always be a mistake that really humbles you and then the and by the same time it's that mistake that will really teach you a lot so you have a career spanning almost what 20-25 years what has been that thing for you that really humbled you but at the same time taught you so much 
You are my daughter because my son is older than you. <laughs> so there are many. If I can narrate the stories, there are many. Sometimes I get myself so busy that I forget, um, you know, to, to actually, um, what, what would I say? Uh, I, I forget some details, some important details. And I remember when I was traveling for the first time, you know, Udugu Society, I did, um, you know, because of the passion of work and all that, I forgot to have one of the forms signed. You know, I, I think about <clears throat> people and work and forget some things that concern me. So I forgot to have that form signed and the director was so offended. And he said, I'm not going to sign it for you. So I had to go to the, <clears throat> I'm sorry, to the Ministry of, I think that time it was social services or something, to plead with one of the senior people to sign it for me. And I learned a lesson that uh, as much as I'm saying that you need to look at the end from the beginning, um, it, it's, it's very critical to be clear and to plan well so that everything is, uh, is taken care of. Then <laughs> just recently, I was speaking in a conference, <laughs> in a, an international conference, and uh, so busy, my computer just uh, decided to misbehave and it went to the uh, technician and he brought it just a few, uh, I think it was about an hour before the, the conference and I'm in a panel. I hadn't managed to talk to the moderator, <coughs> a professor in Duke University. But I assumed everything would be fine. So I sat there, although I knew that I hadn't prepared well enough. And I, I couldn't say that I wouldn't join the panel because it was too late. So my computer behaved uh, the last minute and um, there I was. The first question was posed to me. <laughs> so why scale up? What is scale up to you? And you know, I just used the dictionary de definition, they expected to hear more, they, and, and the professor asked me, only that? And, and you see people were like, everybody watching and wondering. So there, there are many things, many, many mistakes, but I, I think that idea of not thinking internally about that you're part and parcel of the entire process. You need preparation, you need to have all, you know, your personal things done well because they'll impact on the, on the whole. So those are some of the things which I regret and um, actually I spent a few days without sleeping, just waking up and thinking about it and feeling like I would direct. I wrote to him and told him, can you please edit? <laughs> Because on the other hand, I'm also a perfectionist and I tend to carry too much load. Sometimes not, um, you know, I mean, wanting to just see everything and do everything, which doesn't augur very well with uh, maybe my health and my life, yeah. I think it's very important to notice that image is everything and reputation is everything because 
just that one moment can destroy a whole you know exactly yeah and your reputation for that matter yeah yeah eva how did um you guys handle last year because last year we, the thick of the pandemic airports were closed travel was put on hold there were so many curfews and this i'm sure affected logistics so how did you handle as not silence how did you guys handle ensuring that health care is still gotten to to the guys who to the drivers yeah wow talk about disruption <laughs> that was it and I think quick uh, decision making, quick planning and applying uh, the, the best practices, learning from others because you can't work in isolation. Uh, we learned from others and, de and decided because our populations are at risk. You remember how truckers were held up in at the border and that that time nobody had, had actually known how to deal with the pandemic and and so we were wondering do you close the centers and then deny them health when they really need it because they are the ones who are being affected more because of meeting different kinds of people along the way from country to country are we going to deny our staff the opportunity to be safe because we are exposing them also by bringing everybody uh, to the clinic when uh, the pandemic is uh, rising. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I'm sorry, what we decided was um, to keep the clinics open. We kept them open, but ensured very, very effective information prevention and control mechanisms to keep them aware and to make them also educate the people they were meeting, having hand washing, having sanitizers, ensuring nobody comes when they are not, um, you know, uh, masked and uh, also uh, keeping, maintaining distance, both at the clinic and outside. And we managed. So we have remained open and thankfully some uh, donors, some of our donors actually increased our budget by a small percentage to ensure that uh, we were effective as we did this. So a very disruptive, um, you know, uh, occurrence, unexpected, uh, which also taught us very many lessons, which we are applying in our uh, current practice. And uh, I think we are settling now to the new norm. Uh, but we are also happy that uh, the pandemic came with innovation and research and things being done very fast. I mean, when did you ever hear vaccines being uh, produced uh, within that short span of time? But I keep on wondering if this pandemic only affected Africa, would... <laughs> the answer is no. Ah, good. That's my answer. That's my silent answer. Exactly. So it's good that everybody was affected because then we teamed up to uh, look for solutions and partly they have been found. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eva, you were named a political 
when we were among the apolitical most influential people in gender policy. So, you know, the organizations that someone looks at and aspires, mm -hmm. a political is that for me, I write for them. So when I saw it, I was like, wow. I keep telling you, Eva, I, I'm not taking up to Michelle Obama anymore. It's just you. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what has the journey on gender policy been like? Uh, and sure, uh, and sure. what's the main challenge <laughs> to your work in gender shock. policy? <laughs> Talk about shock and uh, something unexpected because I have no idea where my name came from. I, I could not compare myself with any of the 99 uh, but uh, it humbled me and made me realize that uh, anything small that um, you do matters to another person and, and more to the communities that I, I, I support, I deal with. Yes, it has made me learn a lot of things that as a woman, I should not underestimate myself. But I, also, I looked at myself internally as a woman who has also grown up in a background that was not very luxurious and started thinking more seriously about, um, you know, the other women, the other younger women coming up after me. Where and what is my role in mentorship? How can I en ensure that, you know, we are creating spaces, we are creating uh, space and opportunities and mentoring so that, um, you know, they, they will be among the 100 or 10 apolitical uh, nominees in, in, the, in the future. At the organizational level, uh, we are trying very hard to ensure that um, uh, gender inclusion is a given priority. We have done a gender strategy to guide us. We have a policy on gender and through the programs that we run and thank um, to the donors who fund us, uh, we have been able to integrate um, uh, you know, gender inclusion and equity uh, programs within what we do, not um, withstanding uh, the fact that um, the voice of the woman alone cannot really bring success. So we have to work with men and identify, you know, the, the, the space they will fit in, also to understand the challenges that we face in women, as women, so that they would offer their support. It is the, the entire gender, you know, not just one. I'm not a very good feminist. Uh, all of us will need to uh, work together to make, uh, you know, to create opportunities for, for the other. If the men understood very well uh, the contribution and, uh, of, of the young girl, the young woman uh, in, in the workplace and in the society, then I think we would just make the world a better place to live in. Yeah. Sometimes we shout too much uh, as women, but we forget that uh, the more some, we, we may raise some voices that might be destructive to our progression. So we need to balance and know that um, the world is made. Uh,
so sorry about that today my neighbor really decided <laughs> I, I have i have an opening is going to uh wilson airport so sometimes i had to close my windows too but uh, what you your advice was good that i i ensure there are no noises there's no noise from people so oh, we have an agreement with my team yes yes <laughs> uh eva you are very passionate about the last mile health and an advocate of the health rights of girls and women but the pandemic on its own has really exacerbated gbv like teenage pregnancy among other issues if you were just to say okay this is the solution to gender based violence this is the solution to teenage pregnancy this is the solution to assault this is the solution to all these issues that are gender related what what could be it what could be that solution be what the solution would be and we have piloted is a multisectoral approach to the response as i mentioned earlier there's no way one organization or one organ of um, an organization or a community group is going to win the war we have to start with the people who are affected the victims themselves we have to look for ways of uh, involving also the perpetrators in you know whatever way we are going to use we have to use the police because sometimes when women you know what we go through because of the nature of our creation uh, we experience um, some embarrassing moments and you go to the police station and find that you know uh, more harm is being done you know to to you and your emotions because of the language and the approach that is being used so what nota has done we have formed uh, what we call crisis response teams at the community level every clinic has one of them or several of them where the sex workers especially now we work with those women the women are involved uh in the in the committee we have uh, the police you know in the units which are in the local areas we have the ministry of health we involve even the children's uh, ministry where possible we involve the religious groups if it is uh, from the mosque or from the the churches that are within and um we also you know involve uh the the you know are the opinion leaders within the community so we educate them and then sensitize them about the difficulties and challenges that that uh, uh gbv uh, victims will face and how uh they they actually can be handled better so what has happened is uh, because in this group they they are the 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 gbv uh, affected guys you know the women or men they will voice out the concerns and explain it very well because it's coming from them nobody is talking on their behalf they express it do you know in some of the locations where we work we have had police uh, officers even transporting the victims to the nearest clinics with their vehicles where they have them being the first people to cancel and to create you know um, an environment that is befitting 
for for this kind of people. Gender-based violence is um, is something that we need to really think about and be very innovative about because that's one approach. We need several others, and we are working in different locations. So we need to be innovative all the time so that we can address the problem and respond appropriately uh, depending on the circumstances that be uh, in the different uh, circumstances. But the other said one organization, two organizations or a number of them in a country will not solve this problem. It is something that has to involve governments from the top it has to involve the public and the private sector. It has to involve the communities themselves, themselves, where even policy is being influenced, not just at organizational level, but also from the very top. And you know, many times we are very good at government, at uh, organizations, at formulating policy and packing the documents very well in our cupboards and they gather dust and that's it. Ensuring that there's review of the policies, ensuring that uh, there's a proper, uh, you know, implementation of the actions that are arising from the policies is something that is very necessary. Yeah, working together uh, planning together, involving everyone, and ensuring that the actions that emanate from the meetings, uh, from the conferences, from whatever are acted upon properly, and that also research is happening so that we can learn more and be able to address in a better way. It's very unfortunate that in most cases when it comes to gender-based violence or even teenage or any issue that is against the female gender, it's mostly someone you know. I want to say that's like the most unfortunate thing exactly. about the issues. Yeah, it's always someone you know. Eva, you yes. mentioned that you had a director who really helped you in your career. And you also mentioned that at some point you started mentoring. Do you have, have you had a lifelong mentor? And at the moment, are you mentoring anyone? Um, at the moment, yes. Apparently, there's a leadership coach who's um, a friend of mine. Uh, we, she's she's a, a, a great leader actually sitting in one of the boards of the, one of the biggest banks in East Africa, Kenya and East, East Africa. And this woman is um, so inspirational. We met through the church, and um, uh, she has worked with me. She actually in, uh, um, involved me in a leadership program, a leadership coaching program that she's in. And we started you know, talking and just looking at different aspects of leadership um, involving me and others, and learning from experiences and just sitting and talking and looking at how we have progressed after some time. She's, she's just wonderful. Yeah, she's called Margaret Karangada. <laughs> I think she hasn't produced a book yet, but uh, 
I think that's something I should encourage her to do. But she's she has read uh, many books. She's she has read many. Yeah. Because she quotes many. And and then um, at a personal level, I have uh, several. Uh, at a family friend level, um, girls that I'll be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking in plural because, uh, of course, I, some, some of the cases are sensitive and I wouldn't want to mention them, but, you know, there are those... Uh, you know, you just walk with a young girl and uh, just encourage them, especially those who seem to be walking off of the path. And then at, at the workplace, yes, I have a number of them. Uh, we, we talk, we encourage, we inspire. And, you know, they would always call to ask a question or to seek uh, some advice and I offer that a hundred percent. I mean, I'll, I'll create time for that wherever. Then even in church, I've actually been given the responsibility of mentoring some women. Uh, I've worked with them, you know, and um, I'm still doing so. I think I'm, I'm happy doing so because it was done for me, so I should do it to someone. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have encouragers and mentors along the way. Yeah. Eva, so when you're winding down, you're relaxing from your regional director day, you know? <laughs> which, which is that musician or what are maybe the four songs that really help you wind down? Of course, they can be secular or gospel. Yeah. I think it's one gospel song, How Great Thou Art, which was done by, I'm sure you know it, I, I believe we have, we have a lot of things, I, I have several friends from the other uh, side, so I know that. So, yeah, I th it was done by, what, why am I forgetting his name? I had written it somewhere. Um, when when you listen to that song and you look at the creation, God's creation or Allah's creation, and um, you sometimes uh, troubles come and God is just in a way able to to resolve them, and and this other uh, was actually facing uh, some thunderstorm of some sort, and then. It ended, and then he started wondering. Now that the birds, the birds are singing on the trees, and how it, it it's quite inspirational, and it makes me, you know, just feel that somebody is above me and is taking control over my life. Yes, so I can be comfortable in whatever I do or wherever I go, because somebody is watching over me and is big is. Uh, powerful is able to just help me in all the situations. North Star Alliance has blue box clinics. Could you please tell us about that? The blue box clinics, as I mentioned earlier, are our innovation which we felt would be able to uh, bring health closer to the people. So oh, the so target population, yes. So they're the same clinics that just called blue box clinics. They they are actually the the clinics the because clinics. they are oh. blue. 
racial profiling that happens mm -hmm. because you're working you fly out most of the time as mentioned you are in panels with people out uh, across the pond as a woman and as a supply chain professional have you faced any racial profiling but then most importantly have you faced any gender discrimination a lot of discrimination um that uh, you know how how would i say that when i started my career as a woman uh, th those days there were no not very many women in managerial positions and of course you you say something and you're downtrodden and i don't think even those people who make remarks that weigh you down or they actually uh take your energy away whether they they, they were aware of it and in some instances it was so bad that um um it, it it would even be demeaning to your person you know especially as a, as a widow as a single woman so people think that they can uh take advantage of 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 you or of the situation and then at career level of course uh you're a woman what would you really have more knowledge than you know can you do what we can do and and sometimes that is uh that is brought out very negatively that it affects you if if you're not strong enough you can actually retract and decide no uh then i would rather not but uh, at least i was able to you know to face the waves and uh wait for them to come down i learned to be strong i learned to be courageous i learned to use my mouth to say exactly what's in my mind and I'll voice it out in any meeting it doesn't matter who is there whether it's the president or whoever I will still say what I believe should be said at one particular time um I am just Eva the villager who grew up in the village and uh, I I am so I think I'm very introverted and so I will make very few close very close friends and I'll want my time you know my time alone is very precious so what happens is um I because of identifying with challenges in my life 
and losses and lack of opportunities. I also realized that uh, everybody matters, whoever you are. People matter, and I like it because it's one of our core values. Whoever you are, whatever your station in life, you are important. So I find myself even relating when, you know, my friends with people who you would not um, believe that we can actually have a beautiful conversation with. And then I love my simplicity. I love living a simple life. Uh, I do not do things or buy things or invest because somebody else has done it. I walk my path as guided by God and I'm content with what I have at a particular time. I will not kill myself looking for things because Asha has them or because you, you have endowment. But what humbled me most was the Pamela Steele Award. That one, it still makes me shake. <laughs> that was a shock above shocks because I wondered, one woman in Africa, I don't know where it came from, how it came. And then in my simple nature, I didn't expect anything of the sort could happen to someone who didn't even care, who can take a matatu today to town and come back comfortably. It was that touched me and made me have a totally different perspective of life and of myself. So I think it, it uplifted me and profited me in a manner that um, I have never seen before and I will live to appreciate and recognize for the rest of my life. Say, say that to Pamela when I you know. meet her. <laughs> I will say, I'll tell that to Pamela. Actually, she will listen to it because when I'm done, she really listens to them. So she will listen. Yeah, so she'll get the message. Eva, you have so many accolades, including the Pamsela Award. But when we strip you off all these and you've mentioned, you're just Eva, a girl from the village. So what would be your last, yeah, your last, um, like, mention, your last, uh, my, you you have messed with my head, Eva. How can you take a matter? Don't worry. But oh well. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you do, give yourself a hundred percent because there's nothing that you own or you are that you created or made. You know, made it to happen. So you have to use it for the benefit of others. Respect everyone. Uh, create opportunities for people and I mean live a simple life I love uh, uh, what is Kipchoge the goat <laughs> because despite all what he has in life it's just I mean I just have uh, an aid of what he has <laughs> you know achieved and yet he's able to go back to the village and live that simple Kipchoge. I think that is something that we should emulate and um, learn that there's nothing, anything you have actually can end today. What will you have, uh, what will you have done with it to touch the lives of uh, other people? Thank you so much for making the time, Eva. It was very lovely to have this chat with you. I think my take home from this is put in the work. 
work hard and it will pay you're very humble i'm very i'm very excited to have met you but most importantly i'm very excited for the audience to listen to the gems that you very much shared in this episode have a lovely one for you guys at home i hope you're staying masked i hope you're following all the covid protocols and most importantly please stay tuned to scan and get vaccinated have a lovely one till next time